Hey there, I'm Brent McMahon. This is The Greg Bennett Show. Any questions? Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just finished a wonderful conversation with a longtime friend, Brent McMahon. Brent is one of the sport of triathlons all-time greatest athletes. He's won everything from super sprint races all the way up to Ironman. And in fact, his Ironmans that he have won on debut, he went a 7 hour 55. He then backed that up by winning Ironman Brazil in 7 hours and 46 minutes. Just outstanding performances over the Ironman. And in this episode, we really just discuss uh, the, the Kona Ironman World Championships that just happened and some of the standout performances there. We then uh, rewind the clock and look at Brent's journey and the path that he's taken and everything that he's learned from his highs and lows over a 25-year career. The big takeaway from this one is the fact that he's worked with the same coach, Lance Watson, for over 25 years. I don't think there's a longer coach-athlete relationship in any sport anywhere in the world. And I just think that's a phenomenal uh, story in itself. I have planned to have them both come on the show together at some point, just talk about that relationship because it really is quite something else. We finished with some rapid fire questions and it's just a lot of fun to catch up with a, a longtime friend in this episode and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. A little bit of housekeeping we go on before we go on. Um, thank you all so much for listening and sharing and again, the feedback. Uh, I always appreciate any of that, so thank you. You can also find Brent McMahon on any question and that's if you go to anyquestion.com or if you go to any question in iOS or Android and you can find Brent there, go and ask him a bunch of questions. He's ready to answer them. Although he did say with only a couple of weeks to Ironman 70.3 Worlds, he'll probably wait till after 70.3 Worlds to get back to you all. So go and ask him questions after this episode and he'll be ready to answer them. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today, I am joined by a triathlon legend, a multiple Olympian and five-time Ironman champion with a personal best Ironman of seven hours and 46 minutes. He won his debut Ironman in 2014 with a seven-hour 55 at Ironman Arizona. Back this went up with a win in Ironman Brazil in that time that I just mentioned of seven hours 46, which I believe was a world record at the time, and then wins at Lake Placid, Ironman Canada, and more recently, his Ironman win on September 11th in Wisconsin. He has turned up with consistency and intent for over 25 years. He's taken some talent and turned himself into one of the world's greats. He's ticked every box in the sport, from winning ITU World Cups, Xterra off-road events, going to two Olympics, to winning Ironman 70.3s and Ironmans all around the world. We've actually lived together on training camps, and we've trained together, and we've raced each other. And he's always had a kind word and just an enormous passion for the sport of triathlon. Just one of the best men I know. It's an absolute privilege and honor to just sit and have a chat with a longtime friend of mine. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Brent McMahon, how are you, mate? I'm great, Ben. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this chat. Mate, it has been too long, and I'm embarrassed to say I can't believe it's taken this long for the two of us to be sitting together on this show. What's happened? I don't know. You know, life is busy. You got kids, and I'm all the way, way up in 
Canada. So you know, <laughs> it's, it's a long way away. Well, that's funny, isn't it? That's where we first met, Victoria, Canada, one of my favorite places in the world to live and to train. Some of the, the, the best training grounds, beautiful place in the world, and just wonderful people. You've, you've been there for your whole career, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I grew up as a kid. Uh, high school was in North Vancouver, but uh, the rest of my life pretty much here in Victoria. Wow. wow. Now, listen, mate, did you watch some of the Ironmans this past week? In, in uh, Ironman World Champs, I, I, I caught a little bit of it here and there. Did you really? When when, when I could drag myself, uh, you know, away from the computer, I got I got some training in. That's kind of more more the case. I was so excited to watch uh, Ironman this year, and um, you know, it's been a while since it's been in Kona. So yeah, uh, and I'm going to be heading back there next year. So I had I had to do my research. I had I had to see what went down. Yes, that's right. By winning Wisconsin, you've already ticked the box, and you've got you you've, you've booked your ticket already. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's a good good spot to be in, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So what did you think was like a, looking back at the weekend, you know, with, with the women's race firstly on the Thursday and then the men on the Saturday? What do you think were some of the standout performances? Um, well, I, I think firstly, it was so awesome that the women had their own day. Mm. Um, they had the, the empty course ahead of them. They could race how they wanted. They had all the attention on them. So that was that was super cool. I'm so glad Ironman is uh, finally doing that. Um, they're going to be doing it in 70.3 Worlds as well. So that's a, that's a great standard for them to start doing because um, it was so good just just to see them have at it and just watch the whole race and um, watching Chelsea just be so stable and consistent, but actually be able to see it and have them cover it. And it was super cool. And that was pretty awesome uh, for her to, to come rookie year, you know, first American in a long time. You know, I think everybody agrees that's, that's a standout performance and, and probably the best field that's ever, you know, gathered on the Kona course for, for women. And that's, that's a huge highlight as well as just seeing how competitive the women's field is now. And, and that, uh, you know, and they were talking about on the coverage with the drafting penalties and stuff, but that's evolution of sport. That, that means there's a lot of women really close to each other and, and really at the, the top caliber. That's a good point you make about, you know, if they're drafting, it means they're actually all really close to each other. And, uh, in the past, there was always such big gaps between, the women's racing, but it was, it was close, right? I mean, it, it was, and when you look at Lucy Charles Barkley in second and Annie Hug in, in third, the times that they went, I mean, Chelsea Sodaro, 8.33, Ironman Kona debut. Well, I, I had to go back and check my time uh, <laughs> from my, my best Kona there. And I was like, oh man, I, I don't know if I would have won the women's race, but you know, thankfully I, I, I did an 8.30 with a 3.06 uh, uh, marathon. Oh, yeah. so, and so I just got in ahead of her, but oh, uh, man. but yeah, that was that was an extraordinarily fast and furious day. And that's what happens when you, you mm-hmm. have a high caliber of competition is they, they push each other and, you know, and then on the men's side, just 10 guys under eight hours in Kona. That's, wow. uh, that's pretty spectacular. What do you put it all down to? I mean, I've been asked this and I've answered it a few times, but, and I have my thoughts, but what do you put that down to? I mean, 10, it was only four years ago and no one had ever gone under eight hours. It was 2018 and somebody finally went under. Oh, was it 20? It was 2018. Yeah. When, when Patrick Langer went under, Yeah, but I mean, four years ago, and now we're saying the top 10. Yeah. It's like, it's like when they break the four-minute mile, isn't it? And it's suddenly yeah. everybody's just going to go break it. Yeah, well, exactly. And you're, you're seeing that around the globe with sub-eight-hour Ironmans. Well, you did it on debut. You were the, yeah, I think easy. you were the first ever. Were you the first ever rookie to go under eight hours on their first ever Ironman? I think you were. 
I was, yes. Yeah. yeah. And it was the fa- at the time, it was the fastest first ever uh, Ironman as well. It's, it's since been broken, but um, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's when you, when you got to win a race, you, you got to do it fast. And so as, <laughs> as they get more competitive, you just, you got to go faster. And that's what's happening in Kona. And I think a bit with Kona is that the conditions mm, are, mm. are quite a bit different than they have been in the past. Yeah. Um, we're getting more and more years now where there's no wind or very little wind or it's only coming in at the end mm. the first year i did it we in 2015 we we had quite a bit of crosswind starting pretty much um i'd say 30 miles into the bike and and so that's breaking up the groups that's making everybody work hard that's making mm. you know the fastest bike that day was um you know i rode a 427 yawn wrote a 427 um we were all in that 420 area mm. and at the fastest time was maybe just under 420 well this past weekend <laughs> but the whole entire field was under 420 and and you know the course record was you know 404 and change sam ledley so, for you, know, so you, t- you take 20 minutes off the bike mm. well that gets you that gets you under eight hours pretty pretty quickly um, so doing sub four hours on the bike is, you know, it has a huge, you know, impact on, you know, the oh, overall course. time, obviously. Right. So, um, I think ideal conditions, especially in Kona make, makes such a big difference when you don't have those wins. And, um, and then when you look at it too, when you're doing an Ironman, if you're chopping 30 minutes off your race, that that's huge. Yeah. Fueling, like that, that, that overheating, fueling. hydration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it means you're, you know, and, and that obviously we all know the day gets hotter as you go on. So if you're finished a half an hour earlier, mm. that, that, that has quite a big impact. And, and conversely my race in Wisconsin, you know, we were kind of half an hour longer than what I'm, you know, usually racing. You know, if I'm usually racing around eight hours, well, I was eight thirty whatever, 835 or 836 in Wisconsin. And, and I actually ate all my calories and then had to take some off course because I was out there longer and it was colder. And, Mm. you know, so, so there's, you know, there's a number of factors why it was, you know, so fast, but, um, but then you just, yeah, you look at the caliber of guys and, um, you know, there, there was a lot of guys pushing that bike. And so that makes everybody try and keep up. So, I mean, you've been around so long. <laughs> I'm aging you right now. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I have. Mean, you've really seen, well, the, the training and the science come in and change the sport. You've seen the equipment on the bikes and the running shoes. Um, you know, how, how much impact is that having across the board? Not just Kona, but when you look at the entire sport, it's like it's getting fast, faster and faster. And how much is it due to just raw talent coming to the sport versus it is better training and better equipment? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's definitely kind of a trifecta of things. It's, it's competitiveness. So it's faster guys coming in with, with different skill sets, uh, pushing the boundaries in each of the sports. Um, I think it's technology is getting just more and more refined. I don't think there's a lot of new technology. It was interesting. They talked about a fair bit about that during the broadcast that, you know, we're seeing stuff that was around like 20 years ago 
it's just done better and lighter and stiffer mm-hmm. and you know those kind of things so you, you are seeing some new tech for sure um, but you're just seeing further and further refinement you know and then thirdly it's it's just yeah people going going after it and 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 having the education to push themselves I think in the past, you know, especially when I was younger, you you just push hard and then you fail and then you go, okay, that was too far. And then you dial it back and then you play around with it. But now we have so much data to learn from and to draw parameters so that you can really train in that sweet spot for you specifically. Mm. And that's what I think is such a game changer right now is we're not doing other people's programs and seeing how they work for us. Mm. Athletes are able to go, okay, this is the type of athlete I am. This is the type of engine. This is the type of calories. This is the type of hydration that I need to do. And then they practice it day in, day out, every day till it's absolutely perfect. And they're getting the absolute most out of their training. And so it's, it's that education part that's really, you know, allowing athletes to become better and better. And, and it's not, it's not that, you know, the human body is improving. It's just, we're learning more about it and how to use it better. I love that. Well said, by the way, it's like, uh, yeah, we're, we're learning how to just absolutely optimize the gifts that you have. Right. Whereas I think my generation, going back a bit, it was a little bit of that just caution to the wind and it was like, well, just train harder, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, surely training really, really hard. If I train harder than Brent McMahon, maybe I'll beat Brent. And if you train harder than Greg Bennett, you're going to beat Brent. Now it's like, no, train specific to you, optimize your individual talents and see what you can get and do that consistently over time. Um, mm-hmm. That's really cool. Hey, so what do you think uh, in the men's event? I kind of feel like the Norwegians, we all expected to do something yeah. outstanding, right? Um, mm-hmm. No surprises there, but Sam Ladlow and uh, Max Newman. I mean, those two performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody I predicted just, those two. I think, yeah, the, the race of the day for sure was Sam mm. Ladlow. Um, Gustav, good on him. Um, same with Bloomy we kind of all expected a, a version of that. Um, but for Sam to put himself out there in the way that he did the swim and the bike, by the way. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, like he just dominant. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure he was confident in his ability mm. to swim and bike. And he was probably like, yeah, I can, I can probably put together a good day and push, but I'm not sh- totally sure that he thought he'd be holding that front of the race for that long mm. and be coming down in, in second. But that's the beauty of racing and racing in Kona and racing at the Ironman World Championships is sometimes you take that risk and you're given that opportunity and some people rise to the opportunity and they hold it well above what people expect and maybe even what you expect because you're there in that moment. And, and I think for him, that's, that's what he did is he, he's like, Oh, I'm here and I'm, I'm going to embrace this and I'm going to do whatever I can. And, you know, he, you saw a little bit of, you know, weakness here and there on the run where he went through a rough patch and, 
but that's, that's life. That's, that's Kona. Like we, we all have rough patches there. So he just, he just owned his position and, and that was pretty cool for him to take that risk to go after it and then hold strong. I, I agree with you. And then Max Newman, we're not really talking about him, but seven hours, 44. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And he, he was one of those guys that, you know, yeah, really was like, Hey, everybody's saying this stuff about these Norwegians, I'm going to have a go at them. And so, yeah, maybe he came up, uh, you know, a little bit short or maybe people will say, Oh, well, he shouldn't have gone, you know, gone after it at, at the start there. And, you know, but that's, he writes, sometimes you, sometimes you take a risk and yeah. you, you roll the dice and you go, I'm going to go after it and see if I can get on the podium and crack one of these guys. Yeah. You know, he didn't, he didn't believe, entirely in the Norwegian hype. He was like, you know what? These, these guys can be beat. And, and so he took a crack at it. And that's, that's also super cool. And he didn't and, let up. He didn't let up. He was waiting for Christian or Gustav to blow or one of them. Mm-hmm. He, he yeah. ran to that finishing line, believing one of those three was going to blow and he'd be on the podium. Yeah. So hats off, hats off to all mm-hmm. of them. It was really fantastic. And, uh, you know, to see Patrick Langer and Sebastian Kinley both scraping the top 10. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah. it was a good, it was a good all round day, but enough of that race. I want yeah. to talk about you. Um, so what I would like to do is rewind the clock. So we're rewinding it now. It's going to take a while. Mm. Just kidding. Yeah. You got 25 years. Yeah. So tell us, mate, how did you, you know, find the sport of triathlon? How did you find your passion for the sport? I was a, the typical bratty kid with way too much energy and just always had to be going. So my parents, uh, in a very wise way, just said, okay, let's put him in as many sports as possible. So he can burn that energy off before he comes uh, home and tears the house apart. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, I, my nickname as a kid was the Tasmanian Devil. So, um, oh, that's awesome. so that was, uh, that was well earned. Sounds like uh, Sebastian Kinley said a similar story. His parents had to just put him in something to get rid of all that energy. Yeah, because I would literally break things if, if I you know, was at home for too long. So, so for me growing up it was just this sport 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 and and it and you know when i was younger it just didn't matter what it was it was just outside it was fun so you know i mountain biked i you know we water skied in the summer snow skied in the winter rock climbs uh just whatever whatever team club i uh, played water polo so long as i was moving and uh having you know having fun my parents put me in it. And, you know, so as, as a kid, I, I swam, I biked and I ran, hmm. it was just mountain biking. It was just swimming or water polo. It was running on the school track team. It was funny that, that from a very young age, I just was developing triathlon skills. I also played soccer. So I, I you know, gained a lot of, you know, agility and stability. Uh, same with mountain biking, you know, a lot of bike handling and skills and stuff like that. And those, those kind of things would come in later in my career, but they were all honed as, as a kid when you kind of crash and bounce off rocks and stuff and, and don't break into pieces. So I was fortunate to have that kind of growing up and parents that supported me doing whatever sport I wanted to do. And, uh, because they knew it would get rid of that, that energy. And so, so for me, I, you know, I did my first triathlon when I was 10 years old. Wow. Um, here, Is that right? here in Victoria. Yeah. So what year was that? The, so you were born in 80, right? So 1990. 80, yeah. So in 1990 wow. was my first triathlon. And, 
It was the Victoria Youth Triathlon, which is still going today. They swim at the the University of Victoria swimming pool. And so you do you do your few laps, and then there's actually like a perfect circular road around the campus. So you just exit the pool, get on Ring Road, as it's called, and you do your laps on Ring Road, and then you hit the the parking lot, dump your bike, and then and then you run around the uh, soccer fields. And so that's kind of how I I first learned about triathlon and. At the time, I had like two knee braces because you know my quads were underdeveloped and really, yeah, my knees didn't track properly. And you you were in knee braces at ten years of age. That's that's an uncomfortable age to be in knee braces too. Were you given a hard time and stuff, or was school okay for you? Well, it was only when I was doing sport. Thankfully, I didn't I didn't actually wear them all the time. But it was you know because I was you know running track as a kid and I was you know doing this and I wanted to keep doing it. So my parents like okay, well let's figure out how do you how you can keep doing it. And so I'd go to the physio and do my exercises and you know they're like okay, well if you wear these braces you'll you'll be able to run and won't be as sore. And so I was like okay and you know so i you know soldiered through and then you know obviously once you start cycling well your quads start to develop so um it was you know as i did the sport more my problems went away um which was which was you know as as a kid it's kind of nice to you know well I, i never had teeth braces, but I had knee braces. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> thankfully, I, I, I was able to get rid of them like you do with teeth yeah, braces. So, yeah. you know, so I was that awkward kid running around in, uh, in a wet cotton t-shirt uh, doing a triathlon. Love it. But, um, but it was fun and I did it with my buddies and we, we had a great time. And so, you know, I just did that kind of one triathlon for, for a number of years. And then, um, yeah. And then at the age of I guess 15, I went over to Vancouver and did a triathlon camp. And, uh, that's where I met this guy, uh, named Lance Watson, uh, who was, who was doing a triathlon camp and, and learned, learned a lot and had some fun and learned about visualization and performance and training and all those, those things, uh, that it takes to, to be an athlete, not just a kid doing sport. From there, I was like, "Hey, I kind of, I kind of like this triathlon thing, and I, I can, you know, do do more of it." And in in BC, we had a provincial series, and so by the, the age fifteen, I was doing a few races a year, and we had duathlons and triathlons, and uh, we actually had quite a good elite level racing going on in BC, and so I was able to race some of Canada's best uh, triathletes just at the local races. You know, so basically when I uh, turned 16, um, I did uh, actually, well, I guess I was just before I turned 16, um, I went to my first world championships in Cancun, Mexico. Mm, I was at that world, 96, yeah. Was that yeah. 96, yeah. I think, yeah, 95 or 96. 95, 90, what was that? 94 was Wellington. I think Jeez. it was 95 because I think the the junior category was, they had two. They had junior A and junior B mm. and junior A was like 18, 19 and junior B was 16, 17. And I actually had to get permission because I was 15 at the time to go and to go and do it. And uh, you're right. You're so right. Because Cleveland I, was 96. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So it was perfect. Yeah. yeah. Cancun. That's right. Yeah. So at the age of 15, wow. I was going to my, my first you know, triathlon world championships. And, um, and then obviously, you know, from there, uh, that's, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I'd like to do, I'd like to, you know, kind of 
focus on this triathlon thing, you know, as well as soccer, rock climbing, mountain biking, water polo. But I'd like to also do this triathlon thing. So, so basically I play all the other sports all through the year. And then in the summer I do triathlon and that's where I, you know, I've, you know, first started working with Lance. So that was by the, just to let all the listeners know, this relationship, this coach athlete relationship is the longest in the history of the sport, probably all sports. Uh, you guys have been together, what is it, 26 years, 27 years? Yeah, yeah, since 19, well, I met him in 1995, and then he started to help me with training uh, the summer of basically uh, 96, I guess. My goodness. Uh, that is in itself, just the data collection and working with an athlete, that's a whole story in itself. I'm going to bring you and Lance back on the show together because I want to dissect that even more because that's quite incredible. In yeah, terms of, a lot of fun. any any kind of relationship to last that that long these days is is incredible. Most yeah. most marriages can't get anywhere near that. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, coach athlete, you guys have been able to work together in a in a high tension environment, from Olympic Games to winning major Ironmans. You know, going to all the world championships that you've been. It's a uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot there that I want to unpack. And I don't want to unpack it all on this episode, uh, but I do want to bring you and, and Lance to back together if you'd come back because I'd love yeah, to dissect sure. that even more. That's so cool. Yeah. I know. So go on, mate. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. So you started, no. you know, 20, 2016, 17. Did you start to realize, you know, you started enjoying the sport, you're having some fun, you are gone to a world championships as a, a very young 15-year-old. Um, was there a point where you are like, actually, I've got a little bit of talent here. Like this, this is pretty good. Was there a moment or was it over time? It was definitely over time. And that was, that was the beauty of, of, you know, starting to, to work with a coach at a, at a young age and, and not just a coach, like a, a, a wise and a smart coach that, that could identify talent and understand an athlete and, have him go, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you some guidance and no, you don't need to train all year round. You can still have your fun, still do your water polo, still play your soccer, your team sports. But yeah, if you want to, you know, hone your skills and get a little bit better at triathlon, well then I'll guide you through that and, and we'll keep it fun. And you'll go and you'll, you'll come train with, you know, some older athletes in the summer and, and learn from those athletes and learn how to train and we'll see what happens. And, and so that's for me that that was the huge thing that I learned, but it also kept me on the right path in this sport and in sport as a career was at a very young age, having somebody mentor me and get me on the right path of sport is fun. It's hard work, but it can be enjoyable and you have to have good people around you. And, you know, I, I, I'm still friends with those, those athletes that Lance coached back in 96. I, you know, I, I, I trained with them for years and they're still really close friends. And essentially they were all mentors, you know, to this young, you know, 16 year old kid that were, was tagging, tagging along on rides and continuously blowing up every weekend they're just like okay yeah sure you know we'll we'll give you some tips and you know they'd give me gear and you know their their old worn out bib shorts and stuff like that and i learned a lot from the people around me and and really enjoyed it and really learned what what community triathlon provides that's kind of what inspired me as as a young 
athlete and as a young kid to to do sport and and enjoy it and you know so as i got older you know i started to kind of refine what i did so instead of playing all the sports well then i started to play just soccer and i kept up with the swimming and i still ran on the track team you know i stopped playing football i stopped wrestling i stopped you know Mm. know, pole vault all, all these other things i started to go okay i gotta refine and that's again through guidance of the coach was if you hone your skills a little bit and you dial back your <laughs> whether it was ADD or not it was, it was my need to try and do everything started to go okay let's stick to stuff that's a little bit more specific towards triathlon and and then obviously that's when I started to see more gains in training and I started to see better improvements and stuff like that and, and then I started to get more committed and and then I, I took that leap as, as a kid, and which is every parent's nightmare, is after high school, I don't want to go to university. I want to do sport. <laughs> it's um, a very American thing to say. You have to go, or Canadian as well, do. you're going to go to college. In Australia, yeah. it was like, yeah, I'm going to go be a professional athlete. They're like, okay. All right. <laughs> if, yeah. if you want, yeah, if you don't know what you want to study, go do sport, fine. You can always study later. But over here, it's like, you better go to college straight out of high school. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my dad being a banker, um, you know, he's, he's always had that, uh, kind of perspective as well that, you know, you got to find stability and you got to, you know, have money in the bank and got to be, you know, Mm -hmm. stable with income. And, you know, and so it's like, uh, if you don't have a university degree, you're not going to be able to have a a good job. And, you know, and so it was, it was, it was a matter of convincing my parents that, Hey, can I at least try it for a year? Um, and just sort of see where I could go because I was seeing those gains and I was, you know, making the junior national team. I'd won junior national championships at, you know, triathlon and duathlon multiple years in a row. So it was like, as, as a young kid and as a young athlete, I was like, I want, I'm only doing this in the summers. I want to try doing this all year round and see how good I could get, how Mm. much I can push myself. And, you know, so thankfully they, they kind of came around and they're like, okay, you, you can have, you can have a year to give this a go and try it out. Um, my family actually had left North Vancouver where I was going to high school and moved back to Victoria. And so, um, but Lance and the group was in, was in Vancouver. And so I was like, okay, well, if I want to do this, I want to keep training with this group and I want to keep training with Lance. So I'm going to have to stay here in North Vancouver. And so thankfully, uh, one of my best friends, um, his family said, okay, well, you know what, you can live in our basement while, uh, while you give this a go. And, um, so for very cheap rent and, uh, great food, I was able to live with my, uh, best friend and his, uh, family. And, you know, and that was kind of, as a professional athlete and I'm doing air quotes here. Yeah. Um, you know, that was my first <laughs> kind of step. By. Of, You're getting by. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I gotta, this is the life I want. I got to figure out how to make it work. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, you find people that, that see your, your drive and your passion and, and they want to support it. And so, so the savages, uh, were like, okay, yeah, Brent, we're, we're happy to support you and, and we're happy to have you in our home. And, uh, I worked at a bike shop at the same time as well as a coffee shop. So as a triathlete, you couldn't think of two better jobs yeah, yeah, yeah. to have, you know, so uh, I knew how to make good coffee and I know how to fix my bike. So that's great. Um, I love, so I love that. 
I, yeah. lo- I love all of that because it's it's like I think there's you know there's a lot of listeners here and a lot of young kids that are aspiring professionals and it always sounds so romantic when you you know you're sitting there and you're going seven hours forty six and winning Ironman Brazil or going to the Olympics multiple times and all this and it's like this early journey when you you're sleeping in basements and you you're working two part-time jobs you you're doing everything you can to scrounge you're having these long conversations with your parents to say look just give me a chance i found a passion i'm i i found something that gives me purpose in life you got to allow me to follow this with with conviction and uh I think it's a really, there's a lot to unpack there and it's really great lessons though for anybody that's kind of going, yeah, I want to give this thing a go. Well, understand that it's a journey and it's quite a process, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. And there's a lot of sacrifices that, yeah. that you have to, to make to, to choose that, that journey or choose that, that path. And, and that's why, you know, you, it's, it's worth trying, but then you also, if, if, if it's your path and it's your journey you want to be on, well, then you have to be willing to make sacrifices to follow that path. And, and there's, yeah, there's definitely downsides to, you know, living in your friend's basement and riding to work in North Van where it like snows and rains at the same time. And, you know, it's, uh, there was definitely hard days there, but that's, that's where I wanted to be and that's what I wanted to do. And, and so you, you do those things and, um, and those things ultimately are what made me a better, smarter, stronger. Oh, they harden you up. They harden you up mentally, physically, emotionally. These things, these things are what, you know, you want to be, become great. You want to become successful. You better make sure you've gone through some difficult times and weathered the storm. Because that's yeah, what's going to separate right. the the average, you know, to the great is really to be able to go. Yeah, I've ridden my bike at five a.m. to go to the swimming and then go on to work at a coffee shop afterwards, and it's been freezing cold outside, and all of that is what made you who you are today. I love that. That's so mm-hmm. cool. And so you know, you, you you're doing that. Um, and I want to add one part. You, you said you know Lance, you know wanted to make sure that sport was fun, and it made me smile because. You know, when I first came over to join your squad in 2000, you know, I was coming off, I'd had four years with my coach, Brett Sutton at the time, and it had been all hard work. And we were, we trained really hard, really, really hard. And I was tired. I was almost done with the sport. I'd been left off the Australian Olympic team, a whole lot of other garbage going on. But basically I remember swimming with you guys in my first swim at the um, Commonwealth pool in, uh, in Vic there. And uh, I remember coming up to the end and, and Lance was taking our times or something and we'd finished a set, maybe it was 10 100s or something, and everyone was laughing and, and telling jokes and having a good time. And I was like, I haven't laughed in a pool in four years. Like it, it, it had felt so remote to me that you could actually be having fun doing the work that needed to be done. So that was, sorry to bring it back to me, but it was a real yeah. moment in my life, which I, I've often reflect back to and going... I needed the joy to come back into the sport and you and Lance and that squad that you had in Victoria, it was what I needed at the time and it actually refueled me and I found my passion again for the sport and away I went. So that point mm-hmm. of having community and fun, you guys have well, there's had that. that. There's yeah. that saying, misery loves company. 
Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, is, that is very easily applied to a training, a training group and training environment is we're all, we're all in misery and we're sharing it, but you know, there's a love for it and it, and it definitely makes it easier when you're doing it. Yeah, with other it was fun, mate. It was fun. And, uh, you know, that's when you and I first met in 2000. So you're only 20 years of age, but you know, when did you, was at that young age, you know, that one year, that you basically say, look, give me one year. Let me pull the trigger and go all in and let's see what can happen. Did that one year then turn into two, three, four, and you just kept progressing? Well, yeah. And, and coincidentally during that year, that was, that was in, in 2000 and guess, you know, what happened in 2000. Yeah. When Simon um, Whitfield, our training buddy, yeah, decides to go guy. win the Olympic games, huh? First yeah. ever. <laughs> so, um, you know, that guy that I, you know, I'd, I'd watched race and, you know, it, raced on those courses, uh, you know, not one-on-one cause I was in the junior category at the time, but at world championships, um, mm-hmm. this Canadian guy that was, you know, kicking butt and, and, you know, was probably a, a bit of an underdog going into the Sydney Olympics. And, and then he comes out with the gold medal and that's right when I'm, I'm trying to decide what I'm doing with my life and am I committing and, you know, and this and that, and, and that just really watching Simon come across and, you know, Lance, uh, have coached him there that really solidified that. Yeah. Like this is, this is something I want to do. I want to go to the Olympics. I want to see how far I can push myself. And I've got people around me that, that know what it takes. And, have been there. Mm. Um, so for me, and I think also that's, that's what allowed my parents to also understand Mm. that, you know, I'd obviously made sacrifices. I, I, you know, made the commitment. I was dedicated and that I had people around me that were going to take me on the path in the right direction. And, you know, I was training, you know, with Simon and, you know, doing, you know, crazy camps in Australia as, as a young, well, that's where we started sharing places, didn't we, you know, from 2000 to 2005 and staying with our friend, Neil Larkin, big shout out Larks. Yeah. Larko. Yeah. I mean, those to me, you know, when I think of those memories, it it just puts a smile on my face. You know, they were fun camps in Noosa, Australia. They were fun camps in Victoria, Canada, and we raced and trained around the world. And you were this young and up and coming guy. And I was trying to take down Whitfield, even though we were best buddies. He was the Olympic champion and I wanted to be world number one. And so we had this kind of, it was a friendly rivalry tension within the group, but we were still mates. Mm-hmm. But we all got the best out of each other because of that environment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and a, and a, you know, and a great a great way of looking at it is you know you're sparring partners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are literally sparring in in workouts. You're yeah. you're pushing each other. You're trying to you know you're trying to do that one more better interval than the guy that you're training with because you know you're gonna have to hit like you said earlier. You're gonna have to get on the race course and you're gonna have to beat them. Yeah, and uh, and so it's like you're equally training hard and trying to push each other and you know and your and your friends you know outside of the workout your friends inside of the workout and sometimes you're not friends inside the workout <laughs> because you're you you know you piss each other off or you're you're you know one guy's just having too good a day um but that's all the beauty of of training dynamic in a group and when you have high caliber athletes all pushing 
sometimes there's, there's the blowups, which, you know, especially when you're living together as well, you know, you, you spend a lot of time with a bunch of guys and you're tired. living together and you're tired, <laughs> and you're, you're tired, you're hungry, yeah, you're yeah. all trying to save money. And it's, yeah, there was definitely some massive blowups between uh, me and Simon and oh, just Lance had to manage a lot of that and you know, oh, to, yeah. to Lance's credit, he's a young guy, but he did great. Yeah. But mate, when you look back at your career, highs and lows, let's look at your greatest highs. Tell me, what do you think stands out? There's definitely, yeah, been a, been a few. It's funny, a, a high and a low are intertwined. I can't, I can't have one without the other. Yeah, yeah. And, and they wouldn't, you wouldn't on paper go, oh, that's a high. But uh, for me, Qualifying for the London Olympics was probably one of my career highs. Not just, you know, qualifying for the Olympic team, but it, it was the journey to, to make that team. Um, there was a lot of factors, but the reason it was so high was because it came off of not being selected to the Beijing Olympic team, even though I qualified the spot um, for Canada. And that's right, um, they sent so, it, like domestics or whatever to work for Simon, didn't they? Was it like they just yeah. picked handpicked a team, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, so you do all that hard work as an athlete and, you know, race all over the world. And like I said, make all those sacrifices and do all those things and go do all that miserable stuff. And you get your country a spot and you, you know, you get very close, but then you, you don't get selected. And, um, and that's, that's the brutal thing with the Olympics too. And Mm -hmm. you know, this is when you're not selected, well, it's another four years to the next Olympics. Yeah. It's, it's not like, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll go to the world champs next year. Okay. I didn't make the world champs team. It's, it's like, no, it's, it's four years. It's like, and it's four years and your destiny was chosen often by a selection committee of people that actually don't have much of a clue about what they're doing. No. They haven't lived the previous four years. They haven't any clue of all the racing and all the things that have gone about. They kind of go, well, Let's just put this team together. Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't know, I've been through several of them and I, I must admit, I feel for every athlete that's ever been somewhat of a favorite and should have been on the team and then selectors go, yeah, no, we're going to do this. Like, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry yeah. to interrupt. My little yeah, venting. But, yeah, no, no, it's that. And, you know, and the reality is too, and, and as I've aged and I've gone through, you know, three or four Olympic cycles, you also understand there is no perfect. Oh no, I know Absolutely. process. Like because every federation complains, every athlete complains about their federation, and oh, they did this and they've done that, and blah. You know, there's some, there are some epically bad ones, um, but the, that's just the reality of Olympic sport. Is you know, and again across all sports. I you know, I was on a plane a couple of years ago with the women's eight rowing team who crushed everybody and got the gold medal they were complaining about their federation so even those countries and those sports that are winning and nailing it they still don't have it figured out so you do realize that but it it doesn't it it doesn't take the sting out it still hurts a bit doesn't it it takes time it takes time for it to mend and then you're like okay it's fine it's fine i've Mm -hmm. had a good run it's okay it's okay (laughs) yeah so okay the high of making it 2012 after the disappointment of 2008 um and huge kudos for that what other highs have you got i mentioned them all in introduction but is there anything else that was like you know you won five ironmans was there one of those that was like wow that's a moment Winning each of my Ironmans were 
separately and uniquely awesome. Um, cause they, again, winning an Ironman is, is not easy. Um, <laughs> it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of enduring to get there, to get prepared and then to execute an Ironman and, and get the win is very challenging. And, and so it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like an Olympics, but it, you know, it, it's a big process to prepare and be ready. Mm. So you go through a journey essentially for each Ironman that you do. And so each one is, is, uh, you know, pretty special because you've overcome something or you've, you know, had an injury or this or that, or the competition, how it played out for me, obviously, you know, my fastest Ironman, which was in Brazil at, at the regional championship event, um, was definitely one of, one of the highlights of my career. Obviously, yes, I won. That's, that's part of it, but it was also one of those races, which as an athlete, you always dream of mm. where everything clicks, everything. So works. rare. It's so rare. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Like, and you know, you and I, we've done uh, hundreds of races. I said this to a guy this morning us. at the gym. I said, I think I did over 500 races and I can tell you somewhere between three and five, I thought three or five of them, I thought, yeah, that were they were near perfect, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that's, that's nothing. It's like less yeah. than 1%. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And it's, you know, and so that's, that's when you, when you, when you hit one of those, yeah. that's that, that it, it hits your heart, it hits your soul, it hits everything. Yeah. And you just, and you just go, wow. Like that was, that was an exceptional one. day and, and yeah. such an experience yeah. too. Like it's, you know, and then you reflect on, on your body and just how you were capable of doing it. And, you know, and that's, that's the thing with Ironman. And obviously I've done, I've done, I've won races from super sprint all the way to Ironman now. Maybe I'm going to do an ultra. I don't know. I love but it. as you go up in distance, the, the amount of time that you need to be on yeah. lengthens. And so that's what's so exceptional and interesting about Ironman is, is just the duration of time you have to push your body and to keep it at such a high level for eight hours that it's a challenge in itself is just how, how to stay motivated and how to stay persevering and, and on top of all the little details that you need to, in order to execute that perfect Ironman. And, you know, and again, I've done lots of Ironmans and many have gone crap and many of them have gone well, but not well. Yeah, and yeah. Brazil was just, you know, you're just like, wow, like you finish and you're like, how was I possibly able to just, be on it for that long and it's it's a pretty special experience and and unfortunately i didn't quite get the world record i missed it by 10 seconds was it really 10 seconds yeah oh it was 10 se- and that was lance's fault i'm throwing i'm completely throwing lance under the bus here my goodness. it's 100 percent his fault that i don't have get the world record get rid of it because he was in charge of taking the splits I was going through the run and I was feeling like really solid and really comfortable. And as you do in an Ironman, you never count your eggs before they're hatched. Absolutely. So I had like a, I don't know, 11 minute lead with five, 10 K to go. 
but you don't go, oh, I've got it made because you know, in an Ironman, all it takes is like your stomach to turn on you and you to go to the portal potty, you to walk for a while and the race is right back on you. Mm. And so I was just like solidly, okay, I, I got this, but just be, be, you know, super calm, super stable, just get to the finish. And, uh, and so Lance, you know, gives me a split and he's like, okay, yeah, you're on pace for a sub eight hour. And I'm like, great. I've already done that twice. So great. That's great. I'll, I'll just keep ticking it off. Mm-hmm. And then with a mile to go, the guy says to me, I got our K markers screwed up. You're near the world record. And I was just like, what? You're telling me at a mile to go. So what I can do here. I'm like pretty much on the world record, but I've only got a mile to deal with it now. And so I'm just like, oh gosh. So I, I, again, air quotes, sprint. Yeah. And it felt like sprinting. I bet. Um, You're now cracking six minute miles. Mm. Yeah. It's like going from like a 345k to like a 340k pace. Um, Because that's all I had. But I was literally just, I was running as hard as I could for the last mile. And I was just like, people were cheering and wanting to high five. And I was just like, I got to enjoy it at all. I was just like, I got to make this time. I got to make this time. And sure enough, come across the finish line and I'm just like smashed. And then, uh, and then later on, it was like, oh, you were so close. You missed it by 10 oh, seconds. Oh, well, I gave it to you. Like, I gave it to uh, you. See, history, we can rewrite the history books. Yeah. There you go. In my introduction, I think yeah. I gave it to you. So there you go. Yeah, yeah there you go. I I'll, love I'll that, take it. I love that you got to have that race. You know, I've known you a long time and you've won a lot of racing, but to have that, that kind of a race, that kind of a performance where the whole world went, okay, Brent McMahon, you know, his his Arizona wasn't a fluke. You know, it's like, this was a stamp of approval. Like, whoa, this guy is legit. It was really a performance. I remember it just going, man, Brent has really found himself. Like, and I thought that was just a really cool moment in in your career. You you mentioned missing the 08 Olympics. In terms of lows, have you, you know, have there been some lows that have stood out and there been some massive learnings from those? Yeah, I think, you know, like, like all athletes, there's, there's the injuries. Um, Mm. Those are obviously most often the the cause of the lows. Um, thankfully I, you know, I've, I've had my injuries and, you know, plenty of them over the years, but my injuries have always typically been, um, more sort of overuse tendinopathy type injuries. I've never, I'm not, I've never been one again, this is, you know, going back to what I was saying as a kid and, you know, learning skills of how to fall and crash. And, you know, I, I've, I've not been a, a breaking person. Um, you know, mm. I don't typically fall and break an arm or a collarbone. And thankfully, you know, knock on wood, I've never, you know, broken my collarbone like many triathletes have. Um, I've never gotten stress fractures. My injuries have always been kind of things that just nagging and then they just, mm. they're just so hard to get rid of, you know, when it's a tendonitis or something like that. And I've gone through cycles and cycles and cycles of, you know, and the downside of a tendinopathy is you can keep training. So you're like, oh, it's not so bad. I can keep going. And you kind of work around it. But then inevitably it, it just keeps on lasting longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so for me, that was the, you know, the, the big thing post Beijing and the, the disappointment of not being selected to, to Beijing was, okay, 
I, I looked at my, my crew, you know, Lance, my partner, Carolyn, my family, all those people that make that sacrifice with you to, to go through an Olympic cycle. I went to all those people and I said to them, okay, like it's another four years to London. Do I, do I keep on this path or do I go and do something differently? And they listened and I said, you know, I, I'm not ready to to leave IT racing and, and leave my journey to the Olympics. I I want to go again and I'm I'm gonna do another four years and they were like, Yeah, we'll we'll support that and we'll be with you. You know, during that time, during that that window between Beijing and London, I actually went and did my first seventy point three. I also did some non drafting races. I went and did the series that you used to destroy all of us at. <laughs> I had my <laughs> yeah. moments. Race to, race to the Toyota Cup or the mm. Accenture Series or, mm. you know, the many different iterations it went through with, you know, the Chicago Triathlon, the LA Triathlon, New York. You know, I, I saw you go and do those races and I was like, okay, yeah, I got I to gotta try this to see if this is something that I also want to do. Because I'd already gone through um, after the Athens Olympics um, again as as an athlete, you're trying to figure out how to make money. Mm. I went and did Xterra because I grew up mountain biking as a kid. So I was like, Hey, I'll do this Xterra thing. Cause it's like an off-road triathlon, which I'd probably be pretty good at. Well, and I was pretty good at it. And, um, you know, and so that's for, for years between, uh, you know, around Athens and, and up until Beijing, I did Xterra and I did Xterra worlds and did that as, you know, in order to make some money to keep on my Olympic path. So for mm. the Beijing to London phase, I was like, well, I'll try some of this non-drafting stuff. And again, learned that I was pretty good at it. And so that was added into that decision of, well, do I go to London or do I do this other thing that mm. it appears I'm quite good at? Because in 2009, I went and did 70.3 New Orleans and I won it. I had a Chris Lieto and Chris McCormick and like a really good field. And I was like oh, I can do this long distance stuff and be really good at it and, and just carry on. But as an athlete- Yeah, you really, found, you really found your mark the longer you went. Like you did very well in the short too, by the way. But yeah. So you added that to 70.3 and then it was like, and then I was like, whoa, he's really found his mark. Like he didn't slow down at all. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, you know, it's funny, you know, I've done, you know, corporate talks and stuff like that. And you have your, your career, right. And you have your, whether it's a university degree and you're a, a lawyer or you're a doctor or you're a whatever, an engineer. So that's your path, but then it's, it's your journey is finding what you're exceptionally good at. And for me, you know, I was, I was good at a lot of things but then throughout my career, in the career path that I chose, I, I, I was slowly finding my expertise. And yeah, ITU, I was, I was very good at, but I wasn't exceptional. You know, mm. I wasn't ever going to win the gold medal, but I was always going to be in the thick of it. But then as I tried these other disciplines, whether it was Xterra, well, I got on the podium at Xterra World Championships twice. Um, you know, so I was pretty good at that. And then I did 70.3s and I won 70.3s. And uh, then it was like, okay, let's try this Ironman thing. And well, yeah, then I was really good at that. And, 
you have your career path, but it's about finding your passion and, and it's about finding what you're really good at. Because once you find that, it's, it's much easier to stay motivated and to make those sacrifices and to do those hard days. Like you, I've raced for a long time. I've been racing for over 25 years. Mm. And the only reason I'm doing it is because I enjoy it and because I love this career path that I'm on. And, you know, so anybody that that's out there that loves their job, they're going to keep doing it. Right. Mm. You know, you, you hear of people that, you know, get their degree in engineering and they work as an engineer and then they leave it because they're like, that isn't actually my career path or my passion. And for me, I was just so fortunate that I found my career passion at a young age and was able to keep doing it. That was well said, mate. I love all that because it is about having a path, but then it becoming a journey of passion and keeping that passion alive and, you know, extending yourself into different areas. I I think it's really well said. I'm curious, what I want to do now actually is, uh, it's been a really good conversation. It's been great to just hear your journey and just your passion for, for the sport and your highs and lows. I think what I'd like to do is we, just before we finish up is have a bit of fun and, Finish with we some, don't have fun, Benno. We're going to have some rapid fire questions. So I'm going to, you have been doing Ironman now for quite some time and I am going to test your fast twitch fibers here. Rapid fire questions. All right. You up for it? Sure, why not? All Can right. I write them down and think about it for a while? No, there's no thinking, mate. This is like boom, 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 boom. <laughs> By the way, nobody does these fast <laughs> as much as I'm putting pressure on you. All right. First car you owned? Uh, that would be a Subaru Impreza. Nice. I, th- I think I remember that one, actually. Well, I've right. only owned two cars, so well, it, that's an easy answer. Well, there you go. Both, both of them are cars that I've always wanted, so that's the thing. I have my goals, I go after them, and I get them. So. And I love it. You stay true to your yeah. word. You stay, with, you stay with something for a long time. All right, mm-hmm. here we go. Um, favorite Netflix or streaming show? That you'd want to watch, that you think everybody should go watch. Oh, does it have to be on Netflix? No, 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 no. Any of those streaming. <laughs> Cur- big, currently, a- it's crazy. Well, currently, we're, we're watching Alone. Alone. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very, initially, I was like, oh, I don't know about this, but it's a very interesting perspective on humanity and uh, as an athlete it's very interesting basically the premise of the show is they drop off 10 people in the middle of nowhere it just so happens that it's actually the north of vancouver island Um, so we actually know the terrain that they're in Um, but they drop these people off with 10 items that they're allowed to select in the essentially the middle of the bush all by themselves and the person that lasts the longest wins a half million dollars and that's it that's the show they're giving they're giving cameras to like self video and document their living by themselves how long has it been going how how long's the longest so far there's actually i think i think there's eight seasons now wouldn't it go for years Uh, you gotta watch it imagine putting simon whitfield there well, he'd no, be happy Simon to be there for watch. 50 years. <laughs> Still <laughs> there. That's, what you think. that's what's so great about the show is you're like, oh, come on, that's easy. I could do that. And then you I watch couldn't the do show. It. And I couldn't do it. I know people like Simon Whitfield could. He wants to escape and be on his own and lives in remote part of the I world. I know, but that's the, that's the humanity part of it is yeah, you and I think that. And, and like, yeah, I've, all throughout the show, I thought like, oh, Simon would love this. But 
or you see these people and these are just regular people and you go, oh yeah, they're going to thrive here. And then within like six days, they're like, I'm out. Oh, I, wow. I, I got, I got to go to my coffee shop. I got to hang out with my friends. I cannot do this. Mate, I would take seven I, days just to, I'd take that now just to have a little break. <laughs> Yeah, that's but that's what's so intriguing about it, and and you know, as athletes, you know, especially in endurance athletes, where you're pushing your body um, and pushing your limits, it, it's an interesting view of of just regular people pushing their bodies to a limit that they've never done before. All right, we'll go check it out um, alone. Yeah. Alone, All right. yeah. Next question: Kona Ironman or Olympic gold? Well, I guess it depends on when you ask me, but obviously, uh, right now, <laughs> Kona, right now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a decade ago might have been uh, might have been Olympic gold, but uh, they're just so different, and uh, I, I would take either. Yeah, uh, both yeah, nice I, to have. Yeah, yeah, I, either or. Should a vegetarian eat animal crackers? <laughs> absolutely all right absolutely it's a very safe thing to do how many episodes of the greg bennett show have you listened to tell the truth oh uh, you can say none all the way through <laughs> all the no, way through I, I, no, uh, it's like reading books right i'm, I'm i can only go so far and yeah then, i'm uh, always two times the speed in everything my audible books i'm actually i listen to it three times the speed most of the time Oh, wow. There yeah, you go. That's I get through a book every few days just going three times the speed. I think I'm at, uh, at five. Nice. And, uh, wow, that's more. You know what was the best one? Was It was a pissing, miserable day, and I put on the one with you and Simon, and I wrote out the goose, which is like a mm-hmm. trestle trail path. Uh, I rode out in the rain for an hour and a half and rode back. And I listened to that podcast and it was like, it was like the three of us were sitting on a couch by a fire, just shooting the shit. That's awesome. From years back. And well, let's I just, do that. that let's like actually do my, an episode. That was one of my favorite rides. Let's yeah. do an episode with you, me and Simon. That would be awesome. Let's do that. Okay. That's on the, it's on my guide. So thanks for bringing that one up. I'm all about getting a few guys on and having a chat. So that one sounds fantastic. Mm. All right. Best training location in the world. Uh, if I had to pick one, I would probably say Noosa. Really? Noosa over Maui? Yeah. Yeah. Victoria is awesome. Maui is awesome. But, um, I don't know. Noosa has got the sort of, it's got the everything. It's got the great pool. It's got Mm. the open water. It's got the great riding. And then Noosa is just such a cool place to hang out. It's also warm and sunny and nice and it's not home. Like I'm spoiled because I'm in Victoria, right? So a lot of people would say Victoria is amazing, but you know, I live here. I can't, I can't be where you live, but yeah, (laughs) I I love Maui. Maui's great too. They're pretty cool (laughs) locations when you talk about, I mean, you know, when we, we think about being professional athletes and, everything you get. I mean, just be able to name those places and be their home for training camps. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I've lived here. I've lived there, you know, yeah. Victoria, Maui and Noosa, they're, uh, they're tough places to be. Yeah. Okay. Best decade of music, an important one here. Oh, well, that would be definitely be the nineties. The nineties. When I I grew up. Yeah. All right. It's funny. I, again, this is, Carolyn gives me crap all the time. I in my truck, I have, I have a box full of CDs from the '90s, and I still rapid fire them in into my CD player 
in my truck. I'm so glad my truck has a CD player because I just, I love the music that I grew up listening to and it's still awesome. Nirvana and Rage Against the Machine, all that stuff. Oh yeah, even Oasis and The Verve and um, just some really cool music. Now it's a good Mm -hmm. era. I like that. All right, best movie of all time. Oh... Again, see, this, this, this is my You have weakness. become a very slow twitch person. Do you realize? <laughs> this is my weakness. Is, no, my weakness is my memory. <laughs> That's and, what and I mean. That's part of just, it. <laughs> I just like, there's a lot, there's, I, I could pick one out, but I can't even remember the name of it. No, oh, that's so, hilarious. Yeah. That's all right. You can, you can tell me in the show notes. All right, mate. Well, what's next for you? Let's wrap up here. It's been really great to chat. Yeah. Uh, well, up next is uh, the 70.3 World Championships oh, in yes. St. George. Of course. Yes, yes. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, a little less than three weeks out. Mm. And that's one of my one of my favorite races of all time is, is that race You've won there, St. So. George, right? I have, yeah. 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 You've and been, it's and you've such some, an amazing yeah. city and course. So, yeah, very oh, excited. Go to, crush to go it, buddy. Go crush it. I'm yeah. excited for you. Well, mate, it really has been just fun to catch up. I'm excited about two more episodes in the future with you. One with you and Lance. And then or maybe we all do it together or even bring Simon in, although Simon will confiscate the whole conversation. And then we, <laughs> so we could do one with you, me and Simon. But Brent, honestly, thanks for coming on and just sharing your journey, mate. It's been really cool. Awesome. Thanks very much for having me. All right. Well, and listeners, uh, you can follow up with Brent on anyquestion.com. He's over there. You can ask him questions. He'll answer them in due course. And you can also find the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.